Weird. You guys are weird. <laughs> this was fun. <laughs> Look, and it'll be less than a half an hour, just like Jeremy always wanted. Forget the fact that he's now going to have to edit two episodes in a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, up-and-coming Slice Life Coach. I'm co-host Jeremy Ruggles, pre-tuner of pianos. And I am co-host Peter Cook, staunch supporter of the Quartering Act. Wait, like the medieval torture thing? No, no, you're thinking of, like, being drawn and quartered. (laughs) Peter's for the quartering, but not the drawing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not, uh, my artistic skills are lacking. Actually, I'm okay at drawing. I'm okay. What's the quarter, what's quartering then? I don't understand. The quartering act? They were, were, well, there were multiple, but they were acts of British Parliament that required local governments of the American colonies to provide the British soldiers with housing and food. Oh, right, right, right. Can you tell who's the historian on this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Once again, Peter has outed himself as a nerd. Nerd alert. On a a fucking podcast about record collecting. God. (laughs) (laughs) And Sean has outed himself as a potty mouth. Won't be the first time nor the last. All right. Enough of this bullshit. We have some important work to do today. Oh, I'm excited. This is, okay. So Jeremy and I have been obsessing over this record for years and have wanted, I mean, you could even say that we kind of started this podcast in order to talk about this record, but we've just been waiting till we could build up an appropriate enough following to do this record justice. And I think today's that day. I think we finally arrived enough and it's time to share this record with the world. The time has come. I'm excited because you guys, you guys have been talking about this since we've the inception of the podcast and I have yet to hear it. Here we go. Get ready. This week, we are going to play an album released on Oregon Stop Pizza Records. This is OSP 101 in stereo. Oregon Stop Pizza presents Larson, starring Lynn Larson, playing the mighty Wurlitzer. And we're just going to fucking drop the needle, side one, track one. Hey, look me over. Thank you. 
Man, the arrangement there and the like strident power just provided unbelievable. This guy's a genius. You know, it's tough to talk about this record because words so often fail me when I'm witnessing such majesty. I mean, it, I guess if I had to describe it, it would be an awe-inspiring yet sublime beauty if I had to be put on the spot to talk about this record. Yeah, there was a lot there was a lot going on there. Yeah, so much. So much that it's yeah. like it's hard to wrap your head around it on the first listen, which is why I've been as a rule playing this record on a a daily basis, sometimes thrice daily. Uh, since I purchased this a couple years ago and I got to say like it's it's changed my entire life and for the better too like colors seem more vibrant the air has this kind of like subtle sweetness to it now ever since this record came into my life I man Jeremy you want to tell some tell the people about this guy a little bit Lynn Larson the genius the goat you know I'm loving on Lynn but wow Sean you have taken it to a whole nother level that I did not anticipate. I'm just trying to do the man justice here. Yeah, we've been building this up for a while between you and I, and uh, I, I'm not going to lie, I'm not listening to this thrice daily, <laughs> but I've never listened to anything thrice daily, but I'd say at least twice a week. Okay. Since uh, about, I think it was like two years ago in your garage that we pulled this record. I mean, I don't want to tell you how to live your life or anything, but I really truly believe that if you leveled up, if you kind of got on my level with that thrice daily Lynn Larson musical menu sampling that I'm on, there's really no way it could do anything but completely change your life as well. I mean, he is probably the greatest theater organist of all time flat out you know i don't think there's a person alive that could argue that with you and i you know let's just go ahead and play another track and just let the music I, speak I, for itself I, I i gotta say i gotta say guys i'm glad that you really love this record i think michigan's own david Callendine is a much better organist though please david Callendine is not fit to stand in lynn larson's fucking shadow and you know it um if you say so should I tell him a little about Lynn? Uh, no, I, we gotta let the music speak for itself. We can, we can present our arguments after another track. First, All right. I think I think side two, track one, Chattanooga Choo Choo is really gonna, it's gonna turn some heads. Get ready. Thank you. 
So the thing I keep coming back to when I listen to this record is it kind of plays like the musical version of the unifying theory of everything. Because when you listen to it, like you can't, I, I dare you to name an artist that is not influenced by Lynn Larson. Margaret Glaspie. You can just hear it in the playing. It's just permeated all musical, all, all music content across the world at this point. The technique is the part that grabs me. Like to be able to play with that level of speed and precision mm-hmm. on a pipe organ is basically unheard of in the pipe organ world. Yeah, it's true. He really rose head and shoulders above the competition. Mm. Let me tell you how he got to be the figurehead of the organ and, uh, I mean, per Sean, I'd say of music as a whole. I mean, that might just be me. I guess everyone's allowed to have their own opinions, even if they're wrong. But I hope we we will convince people after this. And, you know, maybe once they learn a little bit about the genius, then then they'll know. So hit them with that bio real quick. This is going to be like our new Earth, Wind, and Fire episode, it sounds like. I do love Earth, Wind, and Fire. And they are still the greatest band of all time. But when it comes to solo performers that really just, like, rocked the world, it's... It's pretty much just Lynn Larson and Stevie Wonder for me. So far, I think I was more convinced by Earth, Wind, and Fire, but do tell. All right. Lynn Larson started piano at age three. I feel like that's a trend amongst the like jazz genius piano players we've covered before. Mm-hmm. Is starting at an insanely young age. But he started actually on the organ at age seven. And... He made his first concert debut at age nine. His career started to really come up from age nine. He started touring in the United States, Australia, and England primarily. And was, uh, I mean, he played the Royal Albert Hall. Maybe you've heard of it. Judas! (laughs) (laughs) What? Great Dylan callback there. He's one of only two solo organ players to ever play Radio City Music Hall in New York. And he also played the Hollywood Bowl. He played everywhere and was, from a very young age, already a giant of the organ, which really, I think, was not healthy for him and kind of led to some of his troubles down the road. Yeah, I mean, obviously we were going to get to that point. Like, I'm sure so many people are hearing this so far and thinking, like, why have I never heard of this guy before? There must be some great tragic reason why he's not the household name that he obviously should be. So, here we go. So, at age 16, he was given quaaludes by, it doesn't say, but he started very young with a very bad drug. and. That started a 30-year-long kind of floating in and out of addiction uh, process for him, though he continued cranking out albums that whole time and managed to create more than 40 records over this period. He also ghostwrote like an innumerable amount of hits for other people, as is so often the case for these uh, unheralded artists like this. You know, I mean... We all, we all know that he had a brief period uh, playing organ for Miles Davis during his electric period and was obviously kicked out for, you know, his uh, somewhat sloppy lifestyle, shall we say. 
And, you know, there was what artist didn't he write a hit for? That's kind of the thing. Like he never gets the credit, but he had, uh, he had his finger on the pulse of the youth for sure. Yeah. And he was also, I mean, it looked for a while, like he was falling out of favor, but a, uh, previously referenced Bob Dylan brought him out on the Rolling Thunder review where Dylan was trying to create a circus-like atmosphere on this tour. And he went to the world's greatest pipe organist, Lynn Larson, took him on the road. And unfortunately, Lynn actually was only able to perform one date on the entire tour. And the rest of the tour, he wasn't able to pull himself together enough to to put on a show with Bob Dylan. I, I think I remember that part of that very factual documentary that came out a yep. couple years back. Yep. He's he's out there. There's some information if you dig a little if you dig deep enough, you know. Um so yeah, like he had all these great opportunities and he kept just casting them to the wind, it would seem, and ended up, you know, as as so many artists of his time uh, it just burned out in Arizona and took the only job he could find at this pizza place, the Oregon stop pizza and kind of just coasted out playing these, these organ ditties for the, the pizza consumers, the followers of the slice life and kind of drifted into drifted into obscurity from there, unfortunately. But, uh, the one remnant of that experience is he actually wrote the song by the time I get to Phoenix about this whole experience of ending up in Arizona, the end of his rope, you know, we've all been there. Whoa. You never, you never told me that. That's one of my favorite songs. I mean, especially the Isaac Hayes version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it wasn't for Lynn Larson, none of those versions would exist. Think about that. Whew. Well, maybe I'm turning around on this guy. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe not though. Did you even listen to it before, Peter? I don't know if it's just the quality coming through the Zencaster, but I'm just, uh, I'm not hearing what you guys are hearing. Yeah, for listeners out there, this is not uh, an easy record to get a hold of. And obviously it's not on Spotify or YouTube or anything like that. So uh, Peter was not able to listen previous to this episode. Maybe it's a multiple listen type thing. It strikes you. Several listens deep. Sean, you really should have gave him a made a rip and sent it to him. Yeah, it's true. I'm worried though that if I digitize this music, it might it might have some like kind of catastrophic effects, like might rip apart the space time continuum a little bit, you know? <laughs> These are the things I worry ne- about. <laughs> it was never meant to be in the digital sphere. Exactly. <laughs> it exists. Only as a relic of a forgotten time in America. <laughs> Good thing our episodes are analog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I don't even think about that. Sensing some sarcasm. Uh, well, there's only one other big story I found online, but it's the one I kept seeing over and over about Lynn because a lot of his career took place kind of before you know, rock journalism or like widespread, you know, it's hard to find information about people who are really kicking it out in the forties and fifties. But the story that kept coming up involved 
Uh, Lynn and Bob Van Camp, the executive of Hopeful Heart Records. And Lynn was frustrated because Bob was trying to get him to do more religious music. And Lynn was strictly secular and refused to play gospel music. And he told Bob that people didn't want to hear that dusty old church music. You know, more people wanted to hear what he was bringing to the music world, which was revolutionary in his own eyes. Well, and I think as the visionary that he was, he correctly saw that if he was to make religious music, it would be alienating such a large population of the world that are not followers of Christ. So it was more important to him to have kind of a globalist approach to music making, which I think is most perfectly summed up by his rendition of the absolute classic tearjerker on here. It's a small world, which I think if you guys want, we could just play that real quick. I'm ready for it. All right, here we go. Guys, guys, I think we messed up. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting to get that vibe too. I, I have this feeling as if I've awoken from some sort of fever dream. I I think this record might suck. I don't know. It's starting to grow on me. <laughs> I was feeling that one. All right, well, we've successfully convinced Peter and uh, now Jeremy and I are more unsure of ourselves than ever, but we, at least we've passed along the torch. To the the newest member of the Larson Nation. That's me. Proud member. I'll go ahead and just mail my copy to you and give it a few years of a thrice daily routine and we'll see what happens. Yes. <laughs> Please mail your copy of that record to April 1st. Wait, is today? April Fools. In 100% honesty, aside from the music, I can say that the album cover of this rules, which is exactly why I bought it, because the Oregon Stop Pizza logo is a fucking pizza. It's so cool. And Lynn Larson is holding a pizza while straddling an organ. He's both looking like a snack while holding a snack, and that is just too good to not own for a dollar, regardless of whether I ever actually wanted to hear it, which... We'll go ahead and peel back the curtain slightly. This is the first time any of us have played this record. I bought this so that I could put it on the wall because it has pizza on the cover and just assumed that the music was terrible. And it kind of was. I'm unsure of myself. We'll see. It sure made for a fun time. <laughs> it did. All right. We did it. We 
we did an April Fool's episode. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Tag us in your favorite terrible record with a cool cover, and we'll like and respond and subscribe and all that stuff. And if you hated this, I apologize. It was Sean's idea. It was my idea. I take full credit for wasting all of your precious time. All right. Um, let's see. What song should we go out on? How about the closing track on the whole album? Nevertheless, Peter, any closing thoughts? <laughs> that was a good idea. All right. Thanks for listening. There, there's no Spotify playlist for this. So. <laughs> Thank you for listening to I'd Buy That for a Dollar. My name is Peter Cook. I'm Sean Hartman. And I am Lynn Larson, Stan, number one, Jeremy Ruggles. <laughs> number one co-host, number one member of the Larson Nation. Larson.